Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm Brad Beal, and this is Good Traffic. I'm joined today by Barry Green Jr. Barry, thank you so much for joining the show and for being in Good Traffic with me, first and foremost. Thank you for having me, Brad. Yeah, so Barry is someone who I look up to in terms of a lot of the content that he's putting out and some of the conversations he's pushing. Um, he's running and, and kind of leading a online column on Substack that's called Density Dad. Um, Barry, I don't know if people call you Density Dad a lot as an actual <laughs> yeah. nickname, but it's pretty cool. I think it's something that, that you should run run with as a, as an alias or as a nickname because that is an awesome thing. From the first time I read it, I was like, I wish I would have thought of this. Not that I'm a father <laughs> at this point, but I wish I would have thought of it whenever down the road that comes into play. But um, So on there, Barry's talking a lot about um, the crossroads of parenting and urbanism in the built environment, and we're going to get into all that shortly. Barry also um, is the owner of uh, Shades of Moss, a local Richmond, Virginia plant and record shop, um, small business in one of America's great cities. And we're also going to dive into a little bit about that and and Barry's work there and Barry's place in Richmond, Virginia as well. But Barry, thanks again for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, did I leave anything out there? I know you got you got an impressive um, bio doing a lot of things. You know, you're like me uh, in a lot of ways. It seems like a generalist and, and really involved in some great stuff. So, yeah, I, I just like to to learn. Right. So I got my hands in a few things. But, yeah, I think you you nailed it. And again, I, I can't wait to jump into the conversation. Amazing. Yeah. Well, first of all, let's just start off by talking about the kind of framework and framing of density dad as a statement and as kind of your title in a lot of ways and in a lot of the work that you're putting out publicly um density as i think you could attest to is a is a concept in this country that we often associate with young people with young single folks who are still living in the city before they you know grow up and mature and move yep, to the suburbs yep. and get land like you know real american adults do that kind yep. of um you know storyline that has persisted for so long so to kind of put the word density next to the word dad and the concept of fatherhood and family and all of these right. things, it's a really interesting thing that I love. And I think is challenging that conventional American dream uh, mindset of, you know, buy property, get out of the city as you age, yep. get out of your fun years. You know, that's for a different point of life. So I'm curious, can you just kind of give a little background as to how you arrived at that kind of crossroads and why you thought the the, you know, the cross of parenting and the cross of urbanism? Um, and density specifically was a great place for you to start and for you to start sharing messages. Absolutely. So um, I've been just, I don't want to say the orange pill per se, but um, caught myself watching, you know, um, a lot of urbanism and pro biking infrastructure and uh, just learning more about urbanism. And I feel like I've always loved the, um, the concept and being present and being able to experience it, but I didn't know the term. <laughs> and I think that's a mm. lot of us, right? It's like, we're living in the city. We love like being able to walk to certain things, but we don't really know what that term is. Um, so in the past four or five years, um, I started to learn that term a little bit more. And um, when living in Charlotte and having my, my first kid, it was a opportunity to understand what it felt like to not have those things anymore um, as we look for more space, right? Some of the obstacles you have when, oh, we need more than a one bedroom now. We need a two bedroom. And the price that's associated with a two bedroom in a walkable neighborhood. Um, so density that was born. And it was a way to um, make the word density a bit more um, 
gentle. Mm, yes. <laughs> it's a knee jerker, right? Anytime yeah. you use a term in a you know public meeting or um, in a conversation with someone who may not understand, they just immediately go to um, something negative. And there's a lot of things that we appreciate about density. We just don't know that that's what it is, right? Like, yeah. um, um, so yeah, just being able to put those two things together. And, and when you say it aloud, I always hear like, oh, that's cute. Or, oh, man, I really like that. So it, it already like lowers the temperature in the room. Sure. Um, and then it opens the, the conversation to be a less offensive and, and more, um, you know, engaging. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious. I think in this country, when we say the word density, the first image that comes to mind, right, is big block skyscraper, um, a very yeah. certain architectural style that we often associate yeah. with that kind of thing. And I don't think we always think about density in the softer, gentler sense that you yes. speak of. And I think that a lot of us in the urbanism conversation are talking about, which is, hey, if you do lower rise buildings that are just yeah. higher density than single family homes, but more consistently, you don't actually need the high, high and mighty skyscraper that has kind of created this brutal sense of density that I think a lot of people are afraid of. Um, I'm curious if you, as someone, and this might come out as an answer through kind of your work as an entrepreneur and, and a uh, small business owner in a community itself, but how how have you seen that in American cities? Like, have you found yourself to be in pockets where they've done a good job of that or maybe yes. not so much? And is it, has it been, I guess what I'm getting at, has it been more the positive example that's influenced and motivated you to speak on this stuff? Or has it maybe been the negative examples more so? Oh, it's definitely been the positive. So, you know, um, I'm from Richmond, Virginia, um, who I feel has great, you know, infrastructure for density as far as uh, land use, you know, we all could be doing better, but I just feel like the the overall fabric of what we have in our downtown core and just outside of some streetcar neighborhoods is just great. Um, and that comes from being uh, the first city with an electric streetcar system. So a lot of that fabric is left behind. So that's, you know, that was one thing, but I didn't experience that until my, my later years. But more recent, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was in Elizabeth neighborhood and I had a one bedroom with my wife um, and it was a pre-war um, apartment so pretty cheap right under thousand dollars but we could walk to everything there was a Starbucks across the street several restaurants um, you know we could walk to the grocery store and nothing was more um healing like just just a great experience than being able to just walk after a, a day of work and clear our heads and talk about our day and we might be going for a beer we might be just walking and talking but like having the option of like what are we going to do today like which mm -hmm. way are we going to walk which and to the point that like my wife she didn't she doesn't know what urbanism really is but like through that like she wants to go back she's just like what can we do to get back to that neighborhood right yeah um and then i also experienced it in smaller cities like statesville north carolina being close mm -hmm. to their downtown fabric and i think seeing both sides of it when you're in a small you know town that has that like you know lifetime charm and you know you have the record shop and the coffee shop and all these things I, i've experienced it there where you can just park the car and just walk um, but I've also experienced it where I can just leave my house and just mm. walk and explore and get lost. Um, and I think both sides of that is just really more positive than negatives. I mean, there's a lot of negatives to 
density. I, I think, you know, it's not to sugarcoat it at all, but I think there's more positives for sure. Yeah, absolutely. What in some of those communities, because it sounds like you've spent a good amount of time in some bigger cities and also yes. some smaller ones as well. Have there been any common threads that you've noticed then that kind of persist whether or not it's a big city, small town? We, I mean, you're familiar with the strong, strong town yes. movement, which is, has, has a lot of great momentum and leads a lot of great conversations. And um, it's funny because a lot of their urbanist work is actually not in urban areas yes. inherently at yeah. all. Um, so whenever I hear someone say they've spent ample time in both places, I'm always really curious as to, was there anything common that you think um, maybe big cities could learn from small towns or vice versa or that has been both and, and maybe should just be in more of both sizes throughout the, throughout the U.S.? Absolutely. So I think on both the big city and the small town. So there's actually a, I guess, micro sub stack I have called, you know, um, and a small town loving. Right. And mm. what I do is I cover the small towns that I've had the pleasure of either living in or experiencing and what big cities can learn from them. Um, and often it's it's small things. Right. It's getting the wide sidewalks. Right. Getting the shared parking. Right. Getting the downtown park. Right. With the the play area. Right. Like the mm. small stuff that like I think big cities get lost in because they're just consistently trying to grow and so um yeah spending time in brooklyn new york and then coming back to charlotte and then moving to richmond and like getting to experience all these things in about a 10-year frame I, I saw tons of similarities i mean obviously the um ability to take the train anywhere was you know eye-opening but um the people i think is the common amongst it all is when you really bring people together it's a big difference. And I, I notice when I'm out in you know, the suburbs, it's just not the same. You might come across friendly people, but they really don't know how to interact as much as those who almost, I don't want to say have, they're forced to be, but they know, you know, that they're going to have to come across a conversation with someone by the end of the day. You know, they yeah. can't get into their car, get into their office, work all day, and then like, you know, just be so isolated, you know, and right. I think that's the part that I, in all of the small towns and the, the more urban, dense locations, the people that embrace the fact that, yep, I'm going to be a regular here or I'm going to see my regulars here or the, you know, they know every, you know, they know everyone from church, just like the stuff that, you know, dense areas allow, um, I think is the, the common point for it all. Absolutely. Yeah. We, I think we always, I mean, and you're you're involved in some entrepreneurial endeavors, and we always talk about getting yourself uncomfortable and becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I think there's a value of that in your day to day life in a built environment too, right? Like when you don't have the antisocial escape of being yes. able to climb inside a vessel that closes yes. you off, you might feel actually sometimes more uncomfortable. You might yes. feel your might brain your brain might tell you that you're unsafe because you're around strangers, but in actuality you're probably leaving the door open to some really magical stuff that's going to happen. And I mean, talk ad nauseum about the idea of missing out on serendipitous moments yes. and interactions. And um, as someone who kind of owns a space or, or runs and owns a space that is a community hub in a lot of ways yeah. in one of these American cities, like how, how have you, was that maybe part of your motivation? First of all, was creating a space where interactions could occur. 
And like, how have you watched that play out over the years in, in like a real first hand, first row type of seat uh, viewpoint? It's been incredible. I, I think you nailed it with the, you know, serendipitous moments, right? Where, you know, my city council comes in to buy a plant. And while she's talking to me and having a conversation about, you know, what plant she needs, my regular comes in and they're having a conversation about their lunch that they have next week. And and it's like I get to experience that with them. Right. Like, yeah. oh, see you next Tuesday. Just like being a part of the truly like the community. Right. And not just being like another retail shop. And so um, that's. That's the beauty that a lot of us miss out on um, when we're, um, you know, kind of tied away in a vehicle. Um, I get it often when I'm on public transit because we're right there on the bus line. There's times where I'm seeing uh, either customers or people recognize me while I'm just getting on public transit and they get to I'm not getting in my car and just driving off and never seeing them again. Right. Um, so that was one like strategic like, hey, I want to be a part of the community and I want to like figure out how I can do more than just like be physically present and and often what will happen is people come in and they're like hey I follow your Substack, stack like you're dancing uh... there right and it's like they get to make the connection of like oh he's the plant shop owner but he's also the the guy with a whole new personality and stuff behind and we get to have a conversation about it but then they also yeah. get to see I'm actually doing the work like I'm not like right Hey, um, just all pro density. It's like, no, we, we actually don't have all street parking. I, you know, yeah. when I, you know, use my wife's car. Yeah. We, I park on the street, you know, if she drops me off, yep. I'm walking to get something for lunch. Like yeah. I'm walking to get coffee. So when you support my business, you're supporting the businesses walking distance from my shop. Again, going back to that community part. So, um, I just like to be able to be the positive side of small business ownership in dense neighborhoods because so often it's like this fight of parking, this fight of uh, noise and gentrification and this fight of like all the negatives. But there's so many positives. There really are. And I can't tell you enough how good it feels to to see customers walk by and they don't even stop in they just wave they just say hey through the window like yeah wow like that makes my day you know um to be that close but then it's like up oh, i know he's there whenever i need something and that you just can't buy can't buy that certainly yeah no that's a powerful message and i think it speaks to to this point of you by trade, you know, going to school and over time, we're not like, I'm going to be an urban planner, right. all your, you know, your, your trajectory. And I love folks like that. I myself am that way. And I think it's important that we continue to hear from individuals like yourself who have found a way to make this impact by being a citizen of the place, yeah. not in a technocratic position where they're isolated from the realities of the individuals that they're planning for. Yeah. And so I, with what you just said, I think there's a lot of folks out there, a lot of folks that I meet that are really, um, maybe they're just passionate about their city. Maybe they're passionate about their neighborhood. Maybe they're passionate about their specific block. And they just think that it's a foregone conclusion. They're not aware that there's a path forward to even owning yes. a shop and really having an economic stake in what goes on in a neighborhood. 
what would you say maybe is your your advice to someone who wants to get started in that regard and maybe wants to build a, to a presence like what you have in Richmond um, but doesn't know where to get 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 their footing at? Sure. So I say the first thing um, is to get out your comfort zone and get out and talk to folks um, before we opened the shop back here in Richmond. So I had a shop in Charlotte for two years, um, but I knew despite being a Richmond native, I couldn't just come here and say, yep, I'm just setting up shop and this is like what I'm going to do. Like, so we took some plants, we potted them up, you know, did what we would normally do for our shop. And then we reached out to businesses that were adjacent to what I felt like the community I wanted to, to be a part of. So for instance, the first one is Outpost Richmond, which is a bike shop that also is a market that also mm. allows you to grab like wine and beer on the way home. So it's like your bike's being repaired. You can grab a bottle of wine and some snacks and stuff and you yeah. can buy a gift and then your bike's done. You can bike home. Right. So it's like, sure. um, I was like, wow, like I think I can put plants in here. I think this is like the adjacent like thing that would work. And it worked. We put, huh like four plants in there and the four plants was selling and then we put books in there. And the way I was thinking was small. Like if somebody wanted to go buy a plant, but they didn't want to go to Lowe's or they didn't want to go to Home Depot or these big box hardware stores, they wanted to support local. How could I put it like right in front of them? Um, and so we did that. And then the second location was a coffee shop, um, Urban mm. Hangsuite here in Richmond, Virginia. So just being able to, again, think like, community adjacent like yes i'm a like i'm a plant shop but like what shop doesn't need plants right and sure. so yeah i could have like picked a bookstore like I, you know just again community adjacent things but it was about getting in there learning the buyer learning the um the owner speaking directly to the owners and then um the way i set it up was like it was almost self-serve so they had a QR code on them. You can just scan it. You can buy it. It's in the, the money. And then, you know, if you had any other questions, you had my information to say, hey, like how often I need to water it or, you know, you and I can build a relationship, but it wouldn't have to be something that fell on the duties of the, the shop. Right. Mm. So that that was huge. Um, so I would say, yes, get out and, and talk to people and just ask. Like the worst they can say is no. Um, yeah. And so that's one. But. The other part is um, have a clear have a clear idea of what you want to do. And it doesn't have to be complete. It just needs to be clear. And I think those are two different things. Like for me, I knew I wanted to bridge plants, music, and then my wife's tea brand. Like I knew mm -hmm. in some format we wanted to mix these things up and it's been very successful. Um and they're all adjacent to where it's like, yep, I got my plants, I have my music, and I'm going to sit down and have some tea, right? So yeah. these things just were, were clear enough and we're con consistently um, progressing. But we're just, we have a clear idea of at least what we want. And I, I think those two things um, would truly help because you can't have a conversation with an owner or buyer and not know the clear idea of what you want, right? Yeah. Um, that's awesome. That's super cool to hear. And you're doing this all, like you said, without off street parking, which yeah. as a yeah. sentence, you know, to some people might be like big deal. Well, it, it's a massive deal. I think if you look around at the trend in the United States and 
oftentimes, you know, if you just read local newspapers, who gets quoted in articles against new bike lane expansion and is kind of weaponized by a group that is usually against those sorts of improvements to public space. And it's often um, shop owners being quoted as saying, well, who's how are people going to park to use my store? How are people going to get here if you take the yes. two curb spaces away? So what would you say to those folks? Like in your experience, you've obviously lived this this where people have been able to come to your store. You just mentioned how things are thriving in a lot of ways yeah. and you've become a community hub without off-street parking. So how would you kind of uh, communicate why folks should at least be willing to try a pilot program um, for a parklet or a bike lane or something like that? Absolutely. So um, it was great to see this all the way through. Um, I was a huge advocate on us removing um parking minimums here and got to see it come full circle when I got my own shop, because I'm sure if we still have parking minimums, I would have this like problem, right? Because it's like, you know, I don't know what their calculations are, but I recall a winery that was opening um, in an old uh, dry cleaner, mm. right? And they could not open for months over for parking spaces. Yeah. It was like, so because of the minimum, they just couldn't yeah. open different type of business. Um, and as soon as the parking minimum were lift, you know, were reduced, they were able to open up. And so yeah. like me seeing it full circle, I think the biggest comment I hear is like, oh, I, did, I can't believe how close I got to parking here. Like they, they're people who come and they're driving to my shop. They're always surprised that they can get parking typically right up front. So there's a balance, right? One of them is, you know, I'm open during the day. Typically, the residents nearby are at work. There's your parking. There's sometimes I'm the only car on, you know, the street, you know, um, from, again, everyone going to work. Um, there's times that, you know, I'm open on the weekends. Guess what? People are out doing things. So it's like, right. it's not um, ever been an issue. Like, I've never had like a comment or a message where someone's like, I can't find parking. And ironically, I think I would if we had off street parking because mm. then everyone's mind kind of goes to like, oh, he has dedicated parking. And let's say there are six parking spaces and I have six customers at, in there. They're probably more reluctant to park on the street at that point. Yeah. And, and you know, so having it, you know, on street, um, has been a big help for a couple of reasons. For one, um, I do carry outs if it's bigger plants so I can actually walk out with you while keeping an eye on the shop, something mm. I probably couldn't have done if I had dedicated parking. Um, bike parking is another thing because, again, we're on the street level. Typically, people can just peek out the window and see their, their bike there. So it's there's a lot of benefits to it in having like a dedicated parking lot in the back or dedicated you know, bike parking in the back. It's just that visibility and it makes people really at ease to shop in peace and not have to worry about like, you know, something going on with their um, their items. Yeah, and you just made me think of a couple of things there. One being this idea, this crazy idea of sharing space that's yeah. needed by different populations at different times <laughs> versus building two of the exact same thing for those populations. It cracks me up. I mean, I, I live in Phoenix metro area and, here we have like parking garage next to parking garage and usually they're both completely empty all the time and i'm like yep. okay well if these are both 25 percent full 
one of them could be 50% full. Yep. And then later, if different people come in, it drives me nuts. Every day I at lunchtime, I walk around and I don't count every space. But a lot of times I'll do a rough estimation of like in the middle of the busiest time of the day. Yep. This garage is this amount empty, this, and I'm doing simple math of like, if you just added these two together, yep. ah, you know, it's just a crazy sort of thought. So it's a, it's a wild concept that I think when folks like yourself see it in practice, it almost seems too obvious where you're like, oh yeah, people that live here aren't here when they're yep. at work. And so therefore folks that need to come to this area during that time have a place to park. Have a place like it's to a park. very, it's a very like, yeah, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful thing. And then the other piece that you said um, is kind of the induced demand sort of equation, right? With the yep. parking in this case, it's like if you created a short supply of parking, people would almost feel a desire and need to get to those spots yep. versus yep. now they're thinking more about your, your shop and what it has to offer. And just the fact that I'm going to get there however I can, cause I want to yep. be there. Not, Oh, I need to grab one of these spots. And if not, yep. I lost my opportunity because I just drove all the way there and whatnot. So it's fascinating that that kind of sets itself up um, in the way that it does. Absolutely. And, you know, another piece of it is just being in a walkable neighborhood um, and being mindful of the items I carry is a big help because the way I'm looking at it is like, what can someone like literally carry home in a bag? You know, whether it's a plant, even the potting mix, we're mindful of like it not being a heavy bag or um just smaller items and that's a big help you know records obviously you can you know carry records home and so that balance absolutely absolutely helps but i think as small business owners we have to consider that when we're in these dense neighborhoods yeah absolutely i want to pivot a little bit to back to the family piece i know you yes. had mentioned earlier that um your wife and you share one car yes. is that right cool so, i'm in the same position or right, go ahead yeah, so I, I love to um so it's my wife's car and I always like say that um to be very clear because like it's my choice to be car free. So like she doesn't take public transit, you know, she's always gonna take the car. Um and so it's always a conversation of like, hey, I got this going on. Is it okay if I use the car? So is it sharing? Yes, but I think um there's a lot of assumptions sometimes that, oh, that's your car too. And it's like, no, like uh, if my wife wants to go to get her feet done, guess what? I'm, she's got, I got to yep. find another way to do it. And that's just, that's our, our, you know, yep. thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the reason I brought it up and yeah, thanks for clarifying that I'm in the exact same boat as you in that regard. So it's a, it's a pretty cool thing um, to have that. I think it's something that I think, fear sometimes in the larger car free conversation that I'm very much a proponent of myself in, in here in the States, but that we often polarize. It's like, we'll sell them all and, and, you know, curse them <laughs> or yes. embrace them fully. And like, if you're in between, you don't belong. It's our whole tribalist yeah. thing that we do here where it's like, if you don't fit either group completely, you feel a little lost in the middle, there's community and the polls, but maybe in the middle, there's kind of a lost zone. I yep. think I'm really big and interested right now in pushing this idea of just reducing your household car total yes. to one less than you have right now. Can you find a way to make the math work to go one less than you have right now? 
Yes. And I'm curious to hear maybe your personal story for your household on how that works for you. Maybe how you got to that point. I don't know your history with, you know, your personal car ownership and things like sure. that. But maybe how you got to the point where this one car worked and um, some decisions that you made. Maybe it's the area that you chose to live in. Um, maybe a budget you set aside for rideshare, right? There's all sorts of angles that folks can take to make this work. I'd love to hear your personal um, take on that. Absolutely. So um, I've actually had more years alive without a car than with a car. Um, That's awesome. Both ways, you know, sometimes being in a city where I just absolutely needed one. Um, but as of recent, I've been very conscious of where I live, how I get around, when events are, are they virtual? Um, again, being a dad, I just have to be in a mindset of like, okay, the bus is going to take me 45 minutes to get home. I might do this virtual just so I can kiss my daughter. Good night. Mm, yeah. Or, yep, this finishes up at 630. I know I'll be home just in time. Right. And so that's one piece of it is like, picking what I need to be in person for and what I can kind of get away virtually with. Sure. Um, another piece is um, what I like to call is like squeezing out the last minutes um, when we have to do like this like split off. And I, what I mean by that is like some days I work the shop by myself from nine to, or from 12 to five, right? Rather than me taking the car from 12 to 5, we'll actually go to the shop together as a family at like 10 and we'll walk around. What we'll do you think? Like, we'll hit the park. We'll go get coffee. Like, we spend that time together and then they'll leave me, go do what they need to do. And then we'll kind of gauge whether I can get picked up or take the bus home. Um, we're not really biking distance from the shop, so that makes it difficult but that's one yeah. way that we squeeze that extra time together when you have one vehicle because that's another thing you hear sometimes it's like people thinking like they can't sacrifice an extra one or two hours to be with your family right and that's the why they have two cars they have two cars because well i i can't get up an extra hour earlier or i can't leave an extra hour earlier but yes you really can when you almost have to so that's one part of it um, and then I also have a Brompton, a folding bike, and nice. I kind of use it in conjunction with the bus when I need that like last mile situation. Yeah. Um, and that's been super handy um, as far as like once I'm in the city and like I need to hit multiple meetings, I don't have to like worry about necessarily um, driving anywhere. I can just take the bus and our bus system is free currently. Right. So I can take the mm. bus where I need to go free and then I just unfold and go where I need to go. Um, but yeah, the, the reduction in trips definitely help. Um, Uber, Lyft, car share is it's, um, it has its ups and downs, right? Like sure. it's not my, I'd honestly take the bus sometimes more than ride share. And it's not even a cost thing. It's just that like, I get the anxiety sometimes of like, how long they are from me and like how long it will take me to get home. And sometimes it's the same, like yeah. they're 20 minutes away and then it's a 20 minute ride where I might as well just wait for the bus. That's 15 minutes away. And yeah, I'll get home 20 minutes later, but it was, you know, right. more comfortable, you know, it's just like some, some like changes. Um, yeah. And then, you know, it's a progression. So we've tested cargo bikes. 
Um, we've, when we're in other cities, my wife and I use bike share and like experience what it's like. And eventually I think we'll get to that comfort level of being that biking family, but it's all about the decision. So like we're in a home buying process now, like where are the bike lanes, where are the future trails? Like those are the things that I'm like thinking about, um, to ensure we're in a good position, but yeah, it's just the reduction of trips, you know, and squeezing out that, that last minute, I think make a huge difference. Yeah. And it almost makes you more intentional about how you plan your travel and you almost waste less time going places you didn't really need to go. Like we always end up doing that where we will walk to the grocery store a lot, but maybe once a month we do like a big drive trip to the store. But instead of just going to the store, we'll be like, all right, we had to go over there anyway. We'll do it on the way back. And so I think it's a lot of times it's not impossibility for folks as much as it is just more of a um, intentionality behind thinking about how you use your your moments throughout the day, which, as you pointed out, actually can be a really positive things for, you know, other conversations yes. in your life and how you spend time with people and how you build relationships. Yes. So that is a that is a wonderful message. And I love that you talked about being in the middle of that process of yes. going through kind of getting better at it all the time because it's not always easy. And sometimes, you know, you're you're like, oh, there has to be an easier way. But um there are easier ways coming, I think, is what yes. folks like ourselves are trying to get people to realize and work on at the same time. Um, and so I think that there, there's a there's a message of optimism in that, which I am very, very much a proponent yes. of for sure. I know you recently um, writ a bit, wrote a bit about the car light and car free kind of conversation. Um, how do you see that playing out? I know I mentioned earlier kind of that polarizing conversation of car free and people being just pro car but how do you kind of see the larger dialogue and the cultural conversation around cars at the current state in the united states i think it's a conversation that could be healthier but i think that (laughs) a lot of us is just frustrated right um we're frustrated with the infrastructure choices we're frustrated with um seeing our neighbors and our friends and people we love and care about get injured on a bicycle or as pedestrians. I've lost someone this year to traffic violence um, and they were just walking down the sidewalk. Um, I think the tension is there enough where um, it's hard to have a friendly conversation, but I I still think that as adults who genuinely want something to come out of this that is positive, we have to try. And so um, for me, if you're car free, if you're car light, we're moving in the right direction. But what can't happen is we're just getting to a point of being naive to what cars have done, the space that they've taken out, um, taken from us, um, the people that they've taken from us, um, the money that it's taken from us. I mean, there's so many, it's, to a point where the data speaks itself. Um, but we all have someone um, that's unfortunately been in that situation. And um, I think that's where it's, I, I'm hoping we are coming to a turning point. I think mm-hmm. it's becoming an easier conversation to have because we don't have to debate as much as we just have to come to terms with what it is. Yeah. Before it was like not out there as 
easy to see. But I think now that um, EVs are coming into the conversation and self-driving cars are coming into the conversation, I think um, people know their boundaries, but I think they're also just understanding like, wow, I never knew that I'm spending almost, you know, $1,000 in car ownership a year. I don't oftentimes a lot more. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't look at it like that, but you know, um, it's, it's the data. It's the facts. You know, I've saved $776 a month by not having a car. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I went down to the the dollar on my own and that's where I was like, I don't need a car anymore. You know? Um, so yeah, I mean, the journey is, um, one that could be more positive and it can be more, um, healthier, but I definitely think we're moving in the right direction. What I what I would love to see is the people not getting cross. Excuse me. I would love to see the people who are kind of get they're getting strays caught because they have to use a vehicle because of redlining, because of displacement, because of just their their scenario, right? Um if you live where I live in Richmond, which is deep south side, you have to have a car. My bus comes every hour. Hmm. I have a little bit more patience and flexibility, but there's people who are working two and three jobs to take care of themselves. They have to have a car. So I I just want us to move away from that whole, like, you have a car, you're the enemy to like, for sure, really having a healthier conversation about like, how can we reduce as a whole? You know, if you can't reduce, I'll reduce twice as much. But, you know, like it can't be a thing of like, well, I reduce and you did nothing through the enemy. You know, we really have to be there for each other right now. Absolutely. No. And I think I've as much as I can, I try not to blame the individual driver for the state of our cities. It's it's the lack of a network and network, meaning a lot of different things. Right. The bus, the light rail, the bike, the sidewalks, whatever it may be in your given town or city. It's it's the lack of that network connection and, and at at scale, especially. But. Yeah, to your point, I think there's a lot of the negativity towards individuals. And I think it actually gives a lot of, you know, kindle to the fire for the opposition as well of, you know, oh, these walkable cities, these are just utopias where, you know, they're inaccessible to certain populations. And we're supposed to be the ones that are on the side of accessibility. And that's really what we're lobbying for is a better public transit network, more, you know, like shorter headways to what you just spoke about with the bus, those sorts of things. And so the less that we can, you know, mess around with these comments of like almost alienating the populations that, like you said, have to have a car and it's putting them at a disadvantage. And we should look at that cost that they're having to incur as part of the the issue, you know, not as part, you know, not giving it as fuel to the other side. And I think we're doing that a lot. So um, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think there's a real, real value in making sure that we continue to direct this productive conversation at the correct solutions and not at the you know negative easy low hanging fruit. So thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. The last thing I kind of wanted to jump into with you um, as an idea is Richmond itself. Uh, last year I put a video out and I'm about to. I don't like announcing things before I do them because I like to actually like have some work and momentum going <laughs> behind some. But I, I think I'm getting close enough to where we can talk about it a little bit, but I'm working on this this kind of sub-series to good traffic that's going to be called Walkable Pockets. And it's going to be Sweet. looking at pockets of the pockets in kind of a double entendre sense where 
it's pockets of the U.S., small, maybe it's part of a neighborhood and part of a city, maybe it's a section of a neighborhood that are um, walkable, but also affordable. So pockets also kind of in the sense of affordability, um, because I think a lot of times people just start to, when they hear our our words and our kind of conversation, they think of New York, San Francisco, yes. Boston, the usual suspects, and they instantly remove themselves from that conversation because those places are unaffordable and unattainable. Those are vacation spots. They're not livable places. And I put a video out about this last year and got a lot of comments about, you know, I live in rural Oklahoma. Um, where should I move that's walkable? And a lot of people are actually seeking these places. And I realized there's a lot of people that like, just are looking for something more walkable than where they are right now. Absolutely. And so I put a follow-up video out that was kind of on TikTok asking, um, where are some of the places that folks who do live in maybe places they think are walkable pockets, where would you, you know, be a proponent of or like to advocate for, or think I should do a deeper dive on and share on my platforms? And Richmond was one of the top places that I got recommended um, to look into deeper for walkable pockets. And so I'm really curious just to kind of hear, first of all, why you have chosen to live there as an urbanist and think that that is a great base for you and your work. Um, but also just you hit a couple of things, removing parking minimums, having yes. free bus fare, things like that. Yes. But what are some of the top things that Richmond is doing to be a, a city for people and a place um, for folks to live car free or car light or just more, you know, urbanist minded, I would say? Absolutely. So um, before I decided to come back home to Richmond, I had all type of cities out there. I had mm. Pittsburgh. I had, um, you know, Raleigh, Durham, you know, that's Raleigh and Durham. Yeah. Just put that out there. But yeah, Raleigh <laughs> and Durham. Um, I had um, smaller cities like Carborough, North Carolina. Mm. I had um, Greenville, South Carolina. I mean, my wife and I were on a tour, it felt like, to just see, <laughs> hey, where could we be that's, like you said, affordable, but like also like take advantage of the urban fabric. And it kept feeling like, man, I'm just overlooking my hometown. Like mm. we have a great brewery scene. We have, you know, walkable, several walkable pockets. We have a great art scene. We have the James River. We have free bus fare. Um, but most importantly, we have, I think, one of the just tightest communities of advocates that allowed us to get some major, major um, changes happening here in Richmond that will put us in a very special place when you think of a lot of these cities. So um, we have removed parking minimums. We have free bus fare until June 2025. Um, we just got ADUs by right approved which is huge, um, accessory Massive, dwelling units. Yeah. Um, so in residential zones, uh, we've also just pushed through a short-term rental um, ordinance that will limit the amount of short-term um, rentals in residential areas, but then also ensure that there's a primary residency clause in there. So we just don't have people coming in and buying up and living elsewhere. Um, so all of this has allowed us to um, be in this special place. But then there's things like our Fall Line Trail, which is a multi-use bike path that will be um, 41 miles from Ashland, Virginia, down about Petersburg, Virginia, and it'll cut through Richmond, Virginia. So if you've ever been on the Indianapolis Cultural Trail or the WNOD Trail out in D.C., um, 
on the American Tobacco Trail down in Durham. These are some mm. of the um, trails that we've seek to, you know, resemble. And I think that will really open up a lot um, as far as just being known as a biking city. Um, I think an article just came out that we were um, the fifth city in increased bike trips. Um, and so we're, we're making noise and yeah. it, we're diverse. Um, but it, for me as density dad, for me, I just enjoy uh, that we can do a cargo bike meetup and you just see families everywhere, yeah. right? You see um, people coming together to try and say, hey, just take my bike for a spin. Like, go, you know, try it for yourself. And that's what excites me about Richmond is that I feel we are coming to this cusp of like, I don't want to enjoy this city in this different context by myself. I want to share it with my neighbors so that they get excited about living here and like mm. they get to experience it the way that I do um, and how I probably wouldn't have experienced it otherwise. Right. So to be able to have this network of advocates who are really about um, leaving no one behind. Right. Like we, you know, it's very easy to live in the same city, and have two different experiences. And I, I say that as a person of color and um, as someone who's from here, Right. And uh, experiencing gentrification and anti, you know, displacement. But it's still a possible to experience that from things like having the privilege of living in a walk, like an actual walkable neighborhood compared to being further out in the county. Sure. So um, there's there's things that I think Richmond are, are that it's doing that's we're, you know, two hours from D.C., two and a half hours from D.C., we can take the train. I mean, there's just all these yeah. great things that I think just makes it exciting. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's cool that people mentioned us. Because I, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't think of it even as a native as the first, but as being back here for about a year and a half now is definitely something I would always shout from the rooftops now. Yeah, thanks for sharing all that. And I definitely need to visit i have not come and spent any time so i come. i need to i i can count on you for a tour absolutely i need that phoenix tour i gotta i gotta see uh cul-de-sac in person I gotta yeah see it. I, it's awesome i live just a couple light rail stops away so i'm i'm very close here in tempe and it, tempe tempe's a really cool place phoenix you know is kind of a sprawling nightmare but <laughs> <laughs> i will say tempe is doing a lot of really cool stuff and that's why you know I'm here myself, but uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. We'll do this. We'll we'll set up a little <laughs> a little idea exchange and city exchange here. It'll be perfect. I'm looking forward to it. The last question that I ask everyone when I don't forget to ask them, which I'm not today, and I'm pumped about that, is in your whole life, all the places you've worked, places you've gone to school, whatever it may be, what is your one favorite commute that you've ever had? One route that you would take to and from a place of employment with this show being called Good Traffic. Yes. I'm really trying to fall have people fall in love with the way they get to and from places. And yes. I think we need to slow down and think about that a little more. So I'm assuming you have some some good ones. But yes. uh, yeah. Wow. I um does conferences count? Like like when you travel for work and stuff like that too. We can do that, um, yeah. Yeah, I will say um when I was in Denver recently for the NACTO Design and Cities Conference, mm. um, as an urbanist that like 
gets excited about development, but then also seeing sprawl in the truest sense, taking their train from the airport into the city and seeing sprawl like literally in in my eyes for a, a urbanism conference it was like wow you know yeah. but like seeing the infill and seeing like things happen and then seeing the mountains like just just seeing denver through a lens that i had never been there before but then also just not expecting to see um urbanism and you know great bike trails like the bike can i think you can bike to the airport there i think it was a multi-use path i saw the all the way to the airport and so again it was just like pretty cool to see um it unfold in front of you um and i can't wait to go back because apparently they're in you know they're filling it in at this point so yeah i've done that train a few times and that is a that is a long trip that airport yes. is out there. <laughs> that airport is out there, but the train is super, you know, quick relatively. Yes. And, you know, yeah, you do get to see, you know, Commerce City and all the different sprawling suburbs and just far, yep. far outer burbs on that trip. But and Union Station is awesome once you get into downtown. Yes. That's a that is a good that is a good trip. I, I think that's a good commute to to call out there. Yeah. You're giving me good flashbacks here. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that, that's definitely what I would think. Awesome. Well, Barry, thank you so much for your time today. This has been an awesome conversation and I'm really grateful for your time and I'm glad we got to do this. And I, uh, I'm looking forward to continuing our chat and our hopefully some crossovers as time progresses and continuing to share ideas. And like I said, spaces that we both inhabit and both visit and all that good stuff. Um, before we get out of here, definitely want you to share kind of where folks can find you, um, best place to get in touch, to follow along with your work and to support you. Absolutely. So you can follow density.dad. So that's a website. Uh, you can keep up with my articles. Um, you can subscribe to my newsletter there. You can also, you know, read any podcast that I've been uh, appeared on. So you'll at some point we'll be able to listen to this on there as well. But just a portfolio of all the work that I've been able to be a part of and stay in contact, shoot me a message. I'm on all social media at Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, Green, G-R-E-E-N-E-J-R, and then on Instagram at density.dad. Awesome. Well, thanks, Barry. Keep up all the great work. We need more folks like you in cities around the U.S., so appreciate you very much. Thank you.